Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and it's Elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Yes! Where are you, you little creep? I'm gonna kill that kid! Why'd you take your shoes off? Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh, yeah, thirsty for more. From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home Alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Home Alone from 1990. The studio was 20th Century Fox. The release date was November 16th, 1990. The running time, 103 minutes, and was rated PG. The budget, $18 million, and the box office was a complete smash, taking in $286 million. It was the number one ranked movie of 1990. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 67% fresh from 61 reviews. Their critics' consensus is written horribly, so I'll try to <laughs> add my own correct grammar to it so it sounds actually cohesive. Uh, Home Alone's uneven but frequently funny premise is stretched unreasonably thin and is buoyed by Macaulay Culkin's cute performance and strong supporting stars. Oof. Go, go to actually Rotten Tomatoes to read what they really wrote. Ugh. A much better writer is Roger Ebert, and he gave the film two and a half out of four stars at this time. Here's his review. Home Alone is a splendid movie title because it evokes all sorts of scary nostalgia. Being left to home alone when you were a kid meant hearing strange noises and being afraid to look in the basement. But it also meant doing all the things that grown-ups would tell you to stop doing if they were there. Things like staying up to watch Johnny Carson, eating all of the ice cream, and sleeping in your parents' bed. The movie screenplay is by John Hughes, who sometimes shows a genius for remembering what it was like to be young. 
His best movies such as 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles find a way to be funny while still staying somewhere within the boundaries of remote plausibility. This time, he strays so far from his premise that the movie suffers. If Home Alone had limited itself to the things that might possibly happen to a forgotten 8-year-old, I think I would have liked it more. What I didn't enjoy was the subplot involving the burglars, that is Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, who were immediately spotted by little Kevin, Macaulay Culkin, and made the targets of his cleverness. A real kid probably would have been more frightened than this movie character, and would probably cry. He also might try calling someone, or asking a neighbor for help. But in the contrived world of this movie, the only neighbor is an old coot, who is rumored to be the snow shovel murderer. And the phone doesn't work. When Kevin's parents discover they've forgotten him, they find it impossible to get anyone to follow through on their panic calls. If anyone did so, the movie would be over. The plot is so implausible that it makes it hard for us to really care about the plight of the kid. What works in the other direction, however, and almost carries the day, is the gifted performance by the young Macaulay Culkin as Kevin. Culkin is the little boy who co-starred with John Candy and Uncle Buck, and here he has to carry almost the whole movie. He has lots of challenging acting scenes, and he's up to them. I'm sure he got lots of help from director Chris Columbus, but he's got the stuff to begin with. He's such a confident and gifted little actor that I'd like to see him in a story I could care more about. Home Alone isn't that story. When the burglars invade Kevin's home, they find themselves running a gamut of booby traps so elaborate they could have been concocted by Rube Goldberg or by the berserk father in The Last House on the Left. Because all plausibility is gone, we sit back, detach, to watch stuntmen and special effects guys take over a movie that promised to be the kind of story audiences could identify with. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Now, when Home Alone came out, I was 12 years old, and I remember seeing it multiple times in the theater because I was the perfect age range for this film. And it really was a phenomenon. Every kid had to see this film multiple times. And there are a lot of films that you enjoy as a kid that don't always hold up as an adult. But I think Home Alone is not one of those films. I still find it just as enjoyable today as I did when I was 12. However, in some cases, it's actually for different parts of the film, and I'll get into that later. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So the original script from John Hughes included detailed descriptions about how the booby trap stunts at the end of the film were to play out. One thing that ended up in the final film that was not in the original draft was the character of Marley. That's the old man who lived next door. Hughes originally wrote the script quickly before going on vacation. At the time, director Chris Columbus was in a bit of a limbo for his directing career, especially after his movie Heartbreak Hotel was a bomb, especially after the successful Adventures in Babysitting was released a year prior to that. Columbus thought he may have to go back to writing screenplays, which he was successful at. He wrote hits like Gremlins and the Goonies. John Hughes sent Columbus two scripts. One was called Reach the Rock, eventually made in 1998, and the other one was Home Alone. Now, as I mentioned, often covering John Hughes' films, he might have been the most prolific writer of screenplays in film history. The speed in which he could write down his story ideas is really unrivaled. Columbus loved the Home Alone script, and it was the type of film he wanted to make. Warner Brothers originally was the studio that was going to make the film, but there was a $2 million budget disagreement, so the film went over to 20th Century Fox. And considering how much profit Home Alone made and it was the most successful film in 1990, I hope that the executive or executives at Warner Bros. were fired for making that poor decision. 
As well-written as the script was, the film simply doesn't work without the main character of Kevin being perfectly cast, and nobody could have played the role better than Macaulay Culkin. If they had the wrong child actor, the character could have been just another obnoxious kid, and that would have sunk the film. You have to love the Kevin character, and you have to root for him. And Culkin was undeniably endearing. Of course, if you know your John Hughes film history, Culkin's big break was a year prior in the film Uncle Buck with John Candy, playing one of the three kids being taken care of by Candy's character. From that connection, Hughes recommended the casting director take a look at Culkin for the lead role of Kevin. Columbus did meet with hundreds of kids after the Culkin recommendation, and finally realized that Hughes was spot on about Culkin being right for the part of Kevin. As cute as Culkin was on screen, it was his comedic timing which is what made him perfect for the role along with his facial expressions. Most nine-year-old kids don't have that type of timing, plus director Chris Columbus was a great tutor for the comedy portion. Now the key to getting the adult roles cast was Joe Pesci. Once Pesci signed on, then the cast started to take shape. And part of the reason Pesci liked the role was because it was a stretch for him acting-wise because no other role to that point was like the role of Harry for him. With the exception being, of course, co-starring with Rodney Dangerfield in Easy Money and then, of course, in Lethal Weapon 2. One of the infamous tales of Pesci on set was him not being able to swear on camera. I mean, if you've seen him in his role in Goodfellas or Raging Bull, you know, enough said. Chris Columbus loved Pesci's improv talents, which he honed by working with Martin Scorsese so much, and this translated on Home Alone. With Daniel Stern, Columbus had been a fan of his work since 1979's Breaking Away. But originally the role of Marv was to be filled by Daniel Roebuck, because Stern's asking price was too high for the budget. However, after a screen test with Pesci and Roebuck went horribly, Columbus was able to get Stern signed on. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens with the large extended family of the McAllisters, preparing to celebrate the Christmas holiday in Paris. They live in the suburbs of Chicago. In the middle of all the family chaos, a police officer, or so we think, is standing in the entryway of the McAllister home trying to talk to anyone that will listen, but to no avail. In the meantime, Kevin, of course, that's Macaulay Culkin, is the youngest child of the main McAllister family, and he isn't happy about constantly getting the short end of the stick. Where's my suitcase? Miss, young lady, excuse me, young girls. Hey, hey, hey. Pete's brother and his family are here. Oh, it's crazy. Montreal. Montreal. Oh, that's right. Her family's there. When do you leave? You're not ready, are you? Mom, Uncle Frank won't let me watch the movie, but the big kids can. Why can't I? Kevin, I'm on the phone. When do you come back? Not till then. It's not even rated R. He's just being a jerk. Kevin, if Uncle Frank says no, then it must be really bad. No, we're not bringing the dog. Put in the kennel for the... Hey, 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 get off. Kevin, out of the room. Hang up the phone and make me, why don't you? Hey, did you by any chance pick up a voltage adapter thing? No, I didn't have time to do that. Well, how am I supposed to shave in France? Grow a goatee. Dad, nobody I'll let me do back. anything. Okay, bye. You don't have anything to do? I got something for you to do. You can pick up those micro machines that are all over in there. Aunt Leslie stepped on one and almost broke her neck. He was in the garage again playing with the glue gun. 
Didn't we talk about that? Did I burn down the joint? I don't think so. I was making ornaments out of fish hooks. My new fish hooks? I can't make ornaments out of the old ones with dry worm guts stuck on them. Peter. Come on, Kevin. Out. Peter, Kate, do you guys have a voltage adapter? Here, here's a voltage oh, adapter. Kevin, you're getting heavy. Go pack your suitcase. Pack my suitcase? Do you know what the shampoo is, Fuller? I don't live here. I don't believe in a house with this many people, there's no shampoo. Oh, pardon me, are you a parent's home? Yeah, but they don't live here. Tracy, did you order the pizza? Buzz did. Excuse me, miss. Are your parents here? My parents live in Paris, sorry. Hi. Hi. Are your parents home? Yeah. Do they live here? No. No. Why should they? All kids, no parents. Probably a fancy orphanage. I don't know how to pack a suitcase. I've never done this once in my whole life. Tough. That's what Megan said. What did I say? You told Kevin tough. The dope was whining about a suitcase. What am I supposed to do? Shake his hand and say congratulations, you're an idiot? I'm not an idiot. Oh, really? You're completely helpless. Everyone has to do everything for you. She's right, Kev. Excuse me, pupils. I'm a lot smaller than you. I don't know how to pack a suitcase. Hey, I hope you didn't just pack crap, Jeff. Shut up, Lenny. Do you know what I should pack? Buzz told you, cheap face. Toilet paper and water. Finally, the police officer talks to Kevin's father, Peter, played by John Hurd, and mother, Kate, Catherine O'Hara. Hi. Hi. Are you Mr. McAllister? Yeah. The Mr. McAllister who lives here? Yes. Oh, good, because somebody owes me $122.50. like a word with you, sir. Am I under arrest or something? No, 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 no. It's uh, Christmas time. There's always a lot of burglaries around the holidays. So we're just checking the neighborhood to see if everyone's taking the proper precautions. That's all. Oh, yeah, well, we have uh, automatic timers for our lights, locks for our doors. That's about as well as anybody can do these days, right? Did you get some eggnog or something like that? Come on, Dad. Yeah, Let's see. Eggnog? Pizza! Listen, pizza! Are, you, are you believing... Uh... Pizza! Water ones get treated like skunk. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This house is just crazy. We've got all these extra kids running around. My brother-in-law drove in from Ohio today. It's just nuts. How come we didn't bring more cheese pizzas? Nice tip. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Having a reunion or something? Oh, no. My husband's brother transferred to Paris last summer, and both of his kids are still going to school here, and I guess he missed the whole family. He's giving us all this trip to Paris for the holiday so we can be together. You're taking a trip to Paris? Yes, we hope to leave tomorrow morning. Excellent. And just like that, the officer knows exactly the security system and how long the McAllister family will be gone. Kevin, unfortunately, only eats cheese pizza, and his asshole brother Buzz ate all the plain slices just to spite Kevin. Kevin gets mad and bull rushes Buzz, causing all the drinks to spill. Because of this, the entire family gets mad at Kevin, even though he was just reacting to Buzz. By the way, if you didn't know, Fuller, Kevin's cousin and notorious bedwetter, is actually Kieran Culkin. That's Macaulay's real-life brother in this house. You're the only one who has to make trouble. I'm the only one getting dumped up. You're the only one acting up. Now, get upstairs. I am upstairs, dummy. Third floor? Go. It's scary up there. Don't be silly. Fuller will be up in a little while. I don't want a super fuller. You know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. I know it. Fine. We'll put him somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's too late. Get upstairs. Everyone in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. 
Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. Of course, Kevin's wish does come true, but not by any magic spell. He is, of course, simply forgotten during the hustle and bustle of getting ready to leave for the airport in the morning as the power adage knocks out the clocks. After doing a head count, the neighborhood boy from across the street gets counted as Kevin. The family makes their plane, but Kate has a nagging feeling that she just forgot something. In the meantime, an elated Kevin is enjoying his newfound freedom by running around the house and getting into his brother's stuff, making a mess, eating ice cream for breakfast, and riding a sled down his stairwell. What's the matter? Honey? I have a terrible feeling. About what? That we didn't do something. Ah, now you feel that way because we left in such a hurry. We took care of everything. Believe me, we did. Did I turn off the coffee? No. I did. Did you lock up? Yeah. Did you close the garage? That's it. I forgot to close the garage. That's it. No, that's not it. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! doing all he can. Your phones are still out of order. We'll call as soon as we land, Kate. I'm sure everything's okay. It's horrible. Horrible. Just horrible. How could we do this? We forgot him. We didn't forget him. We just miscounted. What kind of mother am I? If it makes you feel any better, I forgot my reading classes. Ah, good old Uncle Frank. Kevin also discovers the classic movie, Angels with Filthy Souls. Who is it? It's me, Snakes. I got the stuff. Leave it on that doorstep and get the hell out of here. All right, Johnny. But what about my money? What money? AC said you had some dough for me. Bad effect. How much do I owe you? AC said 10%. Too bad AC ain't in charge no more. What do you mean? Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come out and stop me. He'll call you when he gets out. Hey, I tell you what I'm going to give you, snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, 
No good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. <laughs> Keep the change, you filthy animal. Now, as we've discussed on the Angels with Dirty Faces episode, this was simply a parody and completely unrelated to the James Cagney film because the film clip was made specifically for Home Alone and adjusted the title of the original classic film with Cagney. But before the internet, like many youngsters, we always believed there really was a film called Angels with Filthy Souls. So we were shocked to find out when watching Angels with Dirty Faces that there wasn't a character named Snakes. That night, we discover what we expected all along. The police officer from the beginning was an imposter and part of the gang of house robbers. It's Harry, Joe Pesci, and Marv, Daniel Stern. Five families gone on one block alone. They all told me from their own mouths. <laughs> it's almost too easy. Check it out. All the houses with nobody home have automatic timers on their lights. But I got it all figured out. Watch this. Number 664 will be going on right about now. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Number 672 right now. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. 671 now. <laughs> and that's the one, Marvin. That's the silver tuna. Oh, it's very G. Very G, huh? It's loaded. It's got lots of top flight goods. Stereos, VCRs. Toys? Probably looking at some very fine jewelry. Possible cash hoard. Odd marketable securities. Who knows? It's a gem. Grab your crowbar. Up. <laughs> Harry and Marv attempt to rob Kevin's house first, but Kevin outsmarts them by turning on the house lights, making them think the family hasn't left. The next morning, the McAllister family lands in Paris, and Kate calls the local police near home, but gets the runaround. Village Police Department. Yeah, hi, look. I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. Our phones there are out of order, so I'd like somebody to go over to our house, tell him that we're coming home to get him. Okay, let me connect you with family crisis intervention. No, it's not a family crisis. Ho hold on. Larry, can you pick up? There's some lady on hold. Sounds kind of hyper. What line, Rose? Uh, two. Family crisis intervention, Sergeant Balzac. I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. Has a child been involved in a violent altercation with a drunken and or mentally ill member of his immediate family? No. Has he been involved in a household accident? I don't know. I don't... I, I, I hope not. Has the child ingested any poison and or any other object that has become lodged in his throat? No, he's just home alone. And I would like somebody to go over to the house and see that he's all right, just to check on him. You want us to go to your house just to check on him? Yes! Are you connected with the police department? No, they just transferred me to you. Rose! Yeah! Hyper on two. Hang on. Hold on, please. No, please don't hang up. Please don't. 
Any luck? No. I couldn't get anybody. Leslie? I'm sorry, Kate. Nothing but a bunch of answering machines. Somebody pick up. Pick up! Oh, hi, ma'am. It's you again. Yeah, hi, look. I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone, and I... Okay, okay. We'll send a policeman over to your house to check on your son. There's no one home. The house looks secure. I'm the counter kids again. Of course, Kevin is scared from the attempted robbery, and he refuses to answer the door for the real police, along with the fact that Kevin ran into his scary older neighbor who was shoveling his driveway. Kate decides to stay at the airport to wait for a returning flight, while the rest of the family decides to stay in Paris. Back in the United States, Kevin is staying hygienic, though aftershave is an issue. A super shower washing every body part with actual soap including all my major crevices, including in between my toes and in my belly button, which I never did before but sort of enjoyed. I wash my hair with the Don't Formula shampoo and use cream rinse for that just wash shine. I can't seem to find my toothbrush, so I'll pick one up when I go out today. Other than that, I'm in good shape. Savings. Kevin ends up demolishing his brother's shelf of trinkets in order to get his stash of money, as he needs to go grocery shopping. Because the shelves all broke, Buzz's pet tarantula got out of the case. Across the street, Harry and Marv are breaking into the Murphy's house. While in progress, the phone rings and it just happens to be Kevin's father calling. Peter leaves a message saying that they're still in Paris and gives the key code to their alarm. And now Harry and Marv know they can break into the McAllister's house. Kevin first stops at a drugstore to pick up a new toothbrush, but runs into a scary neighbor, which leads to all sorts of trouble. How may I help you? Is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? Well, I don't know. It doesn't say, hon. Can you please find out? Herb? Yeah? I've got a question here about a toothbrush. Do you know, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? <laughs> I don't know. Well, 
gets away from the officer by sliding on the ice. Kevin walks home dejected that he's now a criminal. However, he's not as bad as the real criminals in town. It's so funny. It's so funny. What are you laughing at? You did it again, didn't you? You left the water running, didn't you? What's wrong with you? Why do you do that? I told you not to do it. Harry, it's our calling card. All the great ones leave their mark. We're the wet bandits. You're sick, you know that? You're really sick. I'm not sick. Yes, you are. I'm not sick. That's a sick thing to do. We don't need that kind of thing. Don't tell me what to do, okay? I can do it if I want to. Hey, I'm not sick. Hey, watch out! Gotta watch out for traffic, son, you know? Sorry. Damn. Sandy don't visit the funeral homes, little buddy. Okay, okay. Merry Christmas. What's the matter? I don't like the way that kid looked at me. Did you see that? You ever seen him before? I saw a hundred kids this week. Let's see what house he goes into. You something's wrong. See, I knew he looked at me weird. Why would he run?
maybe we're in the church. I'm not going in there. Me neither. Uh, let's get out of here. come back i'll be ready the wet bandits follow kevin but again he outsmarts them by evading their tail by blending into a nativity scene in front of a church kevin pledges to himself that he'll be ready for the robbers if they come around his house again that night kevin turns on all the lights in every room along with loud christmas music and then puts cardboard cutouts and various mannequins around controlled by strings to make it seem like they're moving around So after the wet bandits drive away, Kevin decides to order pizza, a large cheese just for him. And he uses his smarts again, this time in the form of a videotape. It's Little Nero, sir. I have your pizza. Leave it on that doorstep and get the hell out of here. Okay. Um, but what about the money? What money? Well, you have to pay for your pizza, sir. Fair effect. How much do I owe you? Uh, that'll be eleven eighty, sir. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Cheapskate. Hey, I'm going to give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, ten. A lovely cheese pizza just for me. Now I wonder how many kids attempted this trick after seeing this film. Back at the Paris airport, Kate convinces an older couple to trade their flight tickets in order for her to fly back home to the United States that night. The next morning, Kevin goes shopping again, this time for real groceries, and gets a strange reaction from the checkout clerk, suspicious of a little kid shopping on his own. microwave dinner is any good? I don't know. I'll give him a whirl. For the kids. Hold on, I got a coupon for that. It was in the paper this morning. 1983. Okay. here all by yourself. Ma'am, I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? 
I don't think so. Where's your mom? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Uh, I can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. Back in the neighborhood, Harry and Marv continue to be baffled by the McAllister house. Harry tells Marv to case the place, and Kevin uses his videotape magic once again, with a little added enhancements from Buzz's firecrackers. Get the hell out of here. All right, Johnny. But what about my money? What money? AC said you had some dough for me. Fair effect. How much do I owe you? AC said 10%. Too bad AC ain't in charge no more. What do you mean? He's upstairs taking a bath. He'll call you when he gets out. Hey, I tell you what I'm going to give you, snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. Keep the change, you filthy animal. What happened? I don't know who's in there, but somebody just got blown away. Huh? Somebody beat us to the job. They're in there. Two of them. There was arguing. One of them blew the other one away. Who? I don't know. I thought I recognized one of their voices. And I know I heard that name Snakes before. Snakes? Snakes, snakes. I don't know no snakes. Snakes. So Kate lands in the United States, but it's not home as the flight only gets to Pennsylvania. And now all the flights are booked, and Kate is less than pleased. But she does meet an ally, played by the great John Candy. No, 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 no way. This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. Mammoth. And I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. If it costs me everything I own. If I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I am going to get home to my son. Uh, ma'am, if there was anything at all I could do for do you it. today... Do anything. Uh, I can get you a hotel room. You what? Can... Excuse me. Can you excuse us for a second? Can I see you for a second, please? Excuse us. Help us. Couldn't help but hearing you you got a little bit of a dilemma there. We got a crisis ourselves. <laughs> Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski. How are you? Polka King of the Midwest. The, the Kenosha Kickers? Hi there. Uh, no? That's okay. I thought you might have recognized. Anyways, um, I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, just polka, polka, polka. Polka, polka, polka. No? It, Twin Lakes Polka. Damavuji Polka, a.k.a. Kiss Me Polka. Polka Twist. Well, these are songs. Yeah. Yeah, we... Some, Fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early 70s, you know. 
Yeah, we sold about 623 copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it, you know. I'm sorry, did you say you could help me? A anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on here. Our flight was canceled, so we gotta drive. So, uh, see the guy in the yellow jacket over there by the budget sign? He's gonna rent us a nice big uh, van, and we're gonna drive to Milwaukee. Now, I heard you had some problems. You're uh, getting to Chicago to see your kid or something? Uh, my son, we, he... We left, and he... He's there. Oh, jeez. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll, we'll gladly drive you. It's on the way to Milwaukee. You'd give me a ride? Sure we will. Why not? You know, you gotta get home and see your kid. A ride to Chicago? Sure. You know, it's Christmas time. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. You, you don't mind going with some polka bums? No, I'd love to. <laughs> polka, polka, polka. <laughs> Back to the house. Kevin so far has outsmarted the bandits, but he gets a little bit too careless. Ma, 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 look at this. I think we're getting scammed by a kindergartner. Kids there, the parents gotta be. He's home alone. You gotta be kidding. You wanna come back tonight? Uh-huh. Even with the kid here? Uh-huh. I don't think that's a good idea, Harry. Hey, look, that house is the only reason we started working this block in the first place. Ever since I laid eyes on that house, I wanted it. So let's take it one step at a time, okay? We'll unload the van. Get a bite to eat, and we'll come back about nine o'clock. This way, it's dark then. Yeah, kids are scared of the dark. You're afraid of the dark too, Marv. You know you. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Not, not, not. You are so. Kevin knows they're returning that night at nine o'clock. He prepares for the break-in, but also has some unfinished business with Santa. Excuse me. Yeah? Hey, nice shoes. Oh, thanks. Is he still here? It's really important that I see him. Well, he's getting in his car. I guess if you hurry, you can catch him. Damn. How low can you get giving Kris Kringle a parking ticket on Christmas Eve? What's next? Rabies shots for the Easter Bunny? Santa, hold on! talk to you for a minute? Yeah, if you make it quick, Santa's got a little get-together he's late for. Okay. I know you're not the real Santa Claus. What makes you say that? Just out of curiosity. I'm old enough to know how it works. All right. But I also know that you work for him. 
I'd like you to give him a message. Shoot. I'm Kevin McAllister, 671 Lincoln Boulevard. Do you need the phone number? Nah, that's right. Okay, this is extremely important. Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. No toys, nothing but Peter, Kate, Buzz, Megan, Linny, and Jeff. And my aunt and my cousins. And if he has time, my Uncle Frank. Okay? Okay. See what I can do. Thanks. Wait, hold on a second. My elf took the last of the candy canes home to her boyfriend. That's okay. No, 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 don't be silly. Everybody sees Santa's gotta get something. Here, pull out your little paw there. There you go. Don't spoil your dinner. I won't. Thanks. Well, I guess Tic Tacs are better than candy canes anyway. Kevin's next stop is church, and this stop clears up a few mysteries for him regarding his elderly neighbor. Merry Christmas. May I sit down? That's my granddaughter up there. The little red-haired girl. She's about your age. You know her? No. You live next to me, don't you? You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. Came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come in here tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome to church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. We haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but 
Aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it. Then you won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad. Especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot. For your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you. And the presents. I sent her a check. Wish my grandparents said that. They always send me clothes. Last year I got a sweater with a big burr knitted on it. Oh, that's nice. Not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for wearing something like that. Oh? Yeah. I have a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor he wore dinosaur pajamas. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. So Roberts Blossom, who plays Marley, is just perfect in this role. Well, most people remember the scenes coming up, the key scene of the entire film was the church scene. Though as a kid, they usually miss the importance of it. But as an adult, I think this is where it sticks with you. All right, so with the newfound inspiration, Kevin is ready to do battle. And instead of playing the clips from the terrific booby trap house scenes, I'll instead list all the traps. Of course, seeing these, of course, is better than being heard. So let's go through them. Number one, from the back door, Kevin shoots Harry in the balls with a BB gun from the dog door and then Marv in the face. Now, I'm going to play this one because it's it's so great to hear uh, Joe Pesci's gibberish that is supposed to be swearing. But, of course, it's for the kids. Merry Christmas, little fella. We know that you're in there and that you're all alone. Yeah, come on, kid, open up. It's Santa Claus. <laughs> and it's Elf. <laughs> We're not gonna hurt you. No, no. Got some nice presents for you. Be a good little fella now and open the door. Number two, Kevin waters the front and back steps, meaning they freeze and turn to black ice. Harry slips on the front steps, falling backwards twice. Marv then falls forward down the back steps and has a hell of a time trying to regain his footing. Number three, Marv breaks into the back door, ends up in the basement. 
He then pulls a cord, thinking it's a light, and instead gets hit in the face with a steam iron that was hanging upstairs from the laundry chute. For the view of the shot where you see down the chute to Daniel Stern's face, a pulley had the 300-pound camera coming straight down, which, to say the least, was nerve-wracking for Daniel Stern. Number four, Kevin puts a steaming hot branding iron on the front door handle, which scalds Harry's hand trying to grab the front doorknob. He then falls down the steps again. Number five, after putting tar on the basement steps, Marv loses his shoes and socks and is now barefoot. He eventually steps on a nail strategically placed on some tack paper. Marv then falls backwards down the stairs. Of course, that nail was made of rubber in real life. Number six, sick of the front door, Harry tries the back door. That door is open and is rigged with a blowtorch, which happens to send a flame shooting directly on the top of Harry's head. Now his head and hand are burned. Number seven, Harry then smashes through the back door, but is hit with a saran wrap filled with glue, and then feathers are blown from a fan. Number eight, Marv enters through an open side window and steps onto a bunch of glass ornaments with his bare feet. In real life, those ornaments were made of sugar. Number nine, both Harry and Marv are hit at the bottom of the stairs by swinging paint cans. I'll play this one. Marv! Harry? Where the hell did you take your shoes off? Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? I'm up here, you morons! Come and get me! You guys give up, or you're thirsty for more? He's only a kid, Harry. We can take him. Ah, oh, shut up, we get. Ooh, what is it? You're missing some teeth. Where? That's my gold tooth. My gold tooth. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. You found me with one more can, King, and I'll snap up your cojones and boil the motor oil. My house is being robbed. My address is 656 Lincoln Boulevard. My name's Murphy. Number 10. Trips for both Harry and Marv and with a tripwire. Kevin is almost caught by Marv, but then he finds Buzz's tarantula and puts it on Marv's face. Marv then tosses it away and it lands on Harry. Marv then tries to hit the tarantula with his crowbar, but of course he just hits Harry in the stomach. Originally, the spider was supposed to be... Uh, mechanical, according to Daniel Stern, but that didn't work out because it didn't look authentic. So a real tarantula had to be used. Also, that scream that Daniel Stern belts out during the tarantula scene was filmed live on set because Stern was assured by the animal handlers that tarantulas do not have ears. The tarantula's poison was not extracted, as some have thought. Number 11, after ziplining from his house to his treehouse, Harry and Marv then try to cross, but Kevin cuts the line and they fall to the ground. All right, that's it for the house traps, and I think most of you know the outcome, but if you don't know, I won't spoil it for you. I think the brilliance of Home Alone is the simplicity of the basic story, but also the physical comedy of Culkin, Pesci, and Stern, because it's a throwback to the early slapstick comedy of the Three Stooges, and of course, Looney Tunes cartoons. The movie is like a series of funny vignettes, and the genius of John Hughes' script. 
Now, some critics at the time complained about the stunts and the violence, but they kind of missed the point about the comedy. The more serious the injury of the villain, well, frankly, the more funnier it is. That's how physical comedy works, and that's the way it's worked since the beginning of time. And really, the look and the feel of the film is timeless. It's just the way it was shot. And plus, also, having real stunt actors is great. None of the CGI, which is just sterile garbage of today's films. You know that real stuntmen are doing the falls in Home Alone. Also, rewatching the film, the buildup is awesome. There really aren't many physical gags or stunts until the end, which makes the payoff that much better. Also, even though it is a Christmas film, you can watch this at any time of the year. Also, it's a film that is said to be a kid's film, but really it's not dumbed down, which is also why it's great for all ages. And if you didn't know, the score was done by the great John Williams, which also added to the timelessness of the film because really, Williams is arguably the greatest film composer of all time. And by the way, random thought, Buzz should have been Uncle Frank's kid, not Peter and Kate's. All right, there were a number of deleted scenes, so let's play them. One was called Buzz Off. As soon as I get something on that old maniac, I'm calling the FBI and turning his ass in for the reward money. And you, if you don't get out of my room, I'm going to nail you to Marley's front door and ring the doorbell. Go! Microwini is the guts of a butterfly. Next is Frank's Yank. This is the uh, punchline where Uncle Frank decides to pants Kevin. Hey, you. Parlez-vous Francais yet, Squirt, huh? My name's Kevin. Your name's Kevin? You know what they're going to call you in France, don't you, huh? No. Yank! <laughs> Next is Criminal Decency. Five families gone on one block alone, and they all told me from their own mouths. It's almost too easy. Remember the good old days when people used to stay home for Christmas? Yeah, now it's off to Hawaii, or Aspen, or Paris. Whatever happened to sitting around the fireplace with your family? Yeah. Roasting chestnuts. Singing Christmas carols. That's why I hate Christmas, Marv. I hate it. People have become too cynical, too jaded. It's just another sign of the ongoing moral decay of contemporary society. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. So which house you want to hit first? Next is Hungry Alone. Somebody? Anybody? I'm starving! I don't remember the food groups. Next is Close Encounters of the Marley Kind. I'm not going to play it, but I'll describe it. After sledding down his stairwell into his front yard, Kevin then gets scared off by Marley, who is shoveling salt in his yard. There's another one called Hello, Goodbye. The McAllister's uh, cousin in France have a welcome sign in the airport, which the family runs right through as they quickly want to get to a phone to call back home to Kevin. All right, some more clips. A very hairy Christmas. Where did he go? I don't know. 
Wait a minute, where did he go? Huh? I don't know. How could he just disappear like that? Look, let's just forget it, okay? Come on, we shouldn't be following a kid anyway. It's like sending an invitation to the cops. I don't like the way he looked at me. Come on, Harry, you're just getting an edge on you, man. Now look, we're doing good. Come on now. Look, it's getting dark, right? Here's what we do. We drop this stuff off, we get something to eat, and then we come back for some more holiday surprises. Huh? Oh, you better watch out. You better not hide. If your doors are open, we're coming inside. Harry and Mark are coming to town. We know when you're out dancing. We know just what to take. We know where all the money's hid. So come on, give us a break. Oh, <laughs> you better watch out. You, you better, better not hide. If your doors are open, we're coming inside. Harry and Mark are coming to town. What What did you mean about uh, <laughs> that I had an edge before? Huh? What did you mean that I had an edge? I, I didn't say that. Next is Marv's Christmas coffee. Where'd he go? I don't know. Where'd he go? I don't know. How could he just disappear like that? What is the big deal? I don't like the way that kid looked at me. Well, we shouldn't be following a kid anyway. It's like sending an invitation to the cops. He knows something. So what? He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? He knows something. Look. Harry, why don't, why don't we go to another neighborhood? We'll knock off a couple of houses. You'll feel better. I don't like the way he looked at me, I'm telling you. This'll make you feel better. Made you decaf. Made it too strong. Just steal something that had to work. That's good. Ooh. There's another one called A Savvy Shopper. This was the film debut of Paula Newsom, who has gone on to memorable recent roles on CSI Vegas and Spider Man No Way Home. Pushing the card for mommy? Yes, ma'am. What a good little helper you are. I bet you'll get lots of swell things from Santa tomorrow morning. You never know. Excuse me, what's the stuff that you put in the washing machine that makes your clothes feel as fluffy soft as a kitten, as well as fresh as a springtime breeze? Fabric softener? It's for mommy. It's an aisle two. Thank you. Have a most merry Christmas. You too. And lastly, Christmas is about. Dad? Lenny, what are you doing up, sweetheart? Have you heard from Kevin? No. You want to sit down? Okay. 
Where's Mom? Mom? I think she ran off with some Parisian playboy. Dad. <laughs> no, she just got on a plane to Scranton to go back and get Kevin. Oh. She won't be here for Christmas. Kevin won't be here for Christmas. Won't even be like Christmas. Well, we'll just postpone Christmas a day. I think that's a bad idea. Well, we don't have much choice, sweetheart. Well, family shouldn't be apart on Christmas. No matter how mean they are to each other the rest of the year. Us here, them there. It's stupid, Dad. Christmas isn't about Paris. Well, what is Christmas about? Well, Christmas is about families being together. That a girl. <laughs> so many of the family scenes in Paris were cut mostly due to the test audiences not really seeming to care much about the family, frankly. They wanted to get back to the house in Chicago and see what was going on with Kevin. All right, but let me leave you with a great improv scene between John Candy and Catherine O'Hara. This actually was in the film. I'm a bad parent. No, you're not. You know, you're, you're beating yourself up there. You know, it's, well, this happens. This thing happens, you know, you... Gee, you, 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 you want to talk about bad parents? Look at look at us. I mean, we're on the road 48, 49 weeks out of the year. We hardly see our families. Uh, you know, Joe over there, gosh, you know, he, he forgets his kids' names half the time. Ziggy over there, he doesn't even, he's never even met his kid. Eddie. Let's just hope none of them write a book about him. And tell me, have you ever gone on vacation and left your child home? No. no, but I did leave one at a funeral parlor once. Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible, too. You know, I was all distraught and everything, you know, the wife and I. And we left the, the little tyke there in the funeral parlor all day. All day. You know, we, we went back at night when, you know, when we came to our senses. And there he was. Apparently, he was there alone all day with a corpse. <sighs> now, he was okay, you know, after six, seven weeks. And I came around, started talking again. Uh, but he's okay. You know, they get over it. Kids are resilient like that. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Well, you brought it up. I was just, I you know, trying well, to cheer I'm you up. sorry, I did. So Candy and O'Hara, uh, they were previously working together on SCTV back in the 70s, which was a Canadian sketch comedy show, kind of like Saturday Night Live. And they were actually good friends. Uh, Candy ended up dying on O'Hara's 40th birthday, and O'Hara gave a tearful eulogy at his funeral. All right, lots of fun facts. Robert De Niro and John Lovitz both turned down the role of Harry before Joe Pesci took the role. Danny DeVito was also considered. And the role of Uncle Frank was written for Kelsey Grammer. Christopher Lloyd reportedly turned down the role of Marv. Joe Pesci deliberately avoided Macaulay Culkin on set because he wanted Culkin to think he was mean. The film was nominated for two Oscars, both for music for John Williams' original score and original song. The score lost to Dances with Wolves, and the song lost to Dick Tracy. Chris Columbus wanted a fantasy sequence where the furnace Kevin was initially scared of becomes alive and chases Kevin around the basement. However, it would have been too costly to shoot. Columbus had a funny sequel idea where Kevin is the one that goes to jail and comes back to get his revenge on Harry and Marv who have gone straight. That would have been great. The repeat business of Home Alone at the theaters really made the film a huge hit. As I mentioned before, most kids wanted to see this multiple times. This is way before streaming. I mean, it took months and months, sometimes almost a year, to get a film onto home video after its initial release. So... 
The original release to theaters was not in a ton of theaters, unlike Rocky V. So the screenings were sold out with people waiting in line for screenings. And this made Home Alone a must-see film, something that simply does not happen any longer in today's film-going world. And Catherine O'Hara revealed in 2014 that Macaulay Culkin still calls her mom. Now, the picture that Kevin finds of Buzz's girlfriend was a picture of a boy <laughs> made up to look like a girl because Chris Columbus thought it would be too cruel to make fun of a girl like that. And that boy that was used in the photo was the art director, Dan Webster's son. <laughs> During the rehearsal for the scene where Harry attempts to bite off Kevin's finger, Joe Pesci actually bit Macaulay Culkin, leaving a small scar. Chris Farley actually auditioned for the role of Santa Claus. In the rumored original draft of the screenplay, Uncle Frank is revealed as the real villain, as he was sort of the villain behind the villains, and that Harry and Marv actually worked for him, and that he hired them to rob the McAllister house and the other houses in the neighborhood, and also to kill Kevin, which would make sense about why Uncle Frank was such a jerk. I kind of like that. All right. Someone who I do really like, and I have him on the podcast often, is the great Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock podcast. He joins me to talk about Home Alone, and he'll decide if it's a Christmas movie or not. We'll find out. And you know that I'm going to be back next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Stephen Michael from the great Grown Up Rock podcast who returns to talk about... Another John Hughes movie, but people might not realize it's a John Hughes movie. So welcome back, Stephen. Brian Davis, what's up, you filthy animal? <laughs> so, yes, that's a, most people, I think, again, forget this is a John Hughes written film. He didn't direct it, but, uh, you know, he wrote films like Mr. Mom and National Lampoon's Vacation in the early years. Um, so you personally, do you prefer his teen films or his more, quote unquote, adult films like I just mentioned or Planes, Trains and Automobile, Automobiles, The Great Outdoors? and uncle buck what would you prefer that for john hughes type films no i grew up on his uh teen films so uh the john hughes teen films are it for me not to not to say that i don't love films like planes trains and automobiles i mean you know i've been on that so it's uh yeah. it's absolutely a classic gem for me but this movie i if i recall correctly when it came out Christopher Columbus is the one that got all the uh, press and all the exposure, uh, the director of the film. So John Hughes, I, to be honest, I don't know that I, I knew that right away that it was a John Hughes film. Right. And that leads me to my next question. So for me, around the time when this came out, I was about 12 years old. So I was a good age for this movie, to, for it to resonate me. You were in your, like, your 20s. And so when this came out, what drew you to this film? Uh, it just got really good reviews and it was, uh, uh, the holiday season. It was funny. And, um, my guess is that I saw this in the theaters because that was around this time frame. That was what you did on Friday and Saturday nights where I lived. I had already moved to Atlanta by this point. My first Chris Columbus movie was actually Adventures in Babysitting where, where that he directed. Uh, he had you know been a writer for Gremlins and Goonies, but had you seen Adventures in Babysitting before Home Alone? Yeah. I, it, what year did that come out? That would have been 87. So the answer to that would be yes. Yeah. I was surprised when I saw uh, this movie was a 1990 movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? This was actually in the 90s? Because if, if you'd have asked this in a trivia question, I'd have been like, oh, it's an 80s movie. I would have never said that it was a 90s movie. I just didn't, you know, when you think of Macaulay Culkin, you think 
God dang, that had to be the eighties, you know? Well, what's funny. And we, guys talk about this too when you're talking about music whatever whatever movie or album comes out to start a decade it's still the decade before because that's one it's either being recording or filmed and you still have that vibe it really doesn't become a true new decade probably for almost a couple years into the the actual decade yeah i've never really thought about it that way but uh i get your point uh it's just you know i mean it's a it's a 90s flick so yeah yeah (laughs) so had you seen another movie um uncle buck prior to this film because really that was the introduction of like macaulay culkin and his talents and um and speaking of uncle buck do you prefer home alone or uncle buck you know what i haven't seen uncle buck in a while uncle uncle buck i thought was okay uh i don't remember loving it uh when i first saw it but i think it's probably one that if i went back and watched uh, i would enjoy a little bit more i mean there are certain certain scenes in that movie that i do love yeah, and you can definitely see again that the talents of Macaulay Culkin, like his back and forth and his rapport with John Candy. Um, I think that's definitely where John Hughes is like, "Yep, yeah, this is going to be the kid for for my Home Alone movie." Why do you think that Macaulay didn't find as much success as an adult in film? Because you know, actually, his younger brothers continue to have pretty good success as um, you know adults. Well, I think it comes down to what it always comes down to is is script choices, right? Uh, so my guess is that this uh, film was just too – this film was maybe just too cutesy for him, and it's what initially established him uh, and endeared him with a lot of the moviegoers. And he wasn't able to break free from this role. And – to be honest, I mean, he's kind of somebody that uh, he uh, never really aged, did he? he? He's got good genes to where he never really uh, aged out of that young face. He just always sort of had a young face. And uh, again, you know, it comes down to the roles that they pick. I mean, certain people like uh, the Daniel Radcliffe uh, mm-hmm. from Harry Potter, he was able to do some uh, much more uh, different roles and get himself away from the Harry Potter mold. Uh, and that just never seemed to happen uh, with Macaulay. And then he had, you know, he had various issues like a lot of child actors do sure. uh, when they when they come out of that that scene. It's an ugly scene, you know. Well, yeah, and it's nothing new. I mean, most child actors usually don't make it um, past that child actor phase i mean you do have the rare exceptions like drew barrymore uh if you go way back elizabeth taylor but then you think of shirley temple everyone remembers her as a little girl i mean she stopped basically when she was a teenager so yeah it isn't it isn't anything new it's just it's it's interesting because he was such a popular child actor and mostly because of home alone home alone well that's right and uh you know look at the muscle that uh drew barrymore had behind her and and obviously she had a lot of major issues that child actor thing basically killed her initially and she was able to break free and and move on and uh good for her but uh i don't think macaulay Culkin had any of that kind of stuff you know he was new to it and just was never able to sort of break free from it and i think he's actually a decent actor. I don't think he's a bad actor, you know? 
No, and definitely his brothers as well. They have a nice lineage of, uh, of acting in that family. So we'll we'll get into the movie again. This I don't. I, I'm assuming you rewatched it. Of course I did. You know me. You do your homework. That's good. So rewatching it, um, what are some of your favorite scenes? Obviously, who are your favorite characters? And did you pick up anything new from your latest viewing? I did pick up something new, and it probably because it's been so long that uh, since I watched it originally, when I watched it, for whatever reason, um, the very beginning of the movie where the family is running around crazy in the house, I don't think I put two and two together that Joe Pesci was the cop that was right. waiting, trying to get people's attention, trying to case the house, trying to figure out what everybody was doing. I don't think I caught that the first time around. Maybe maybe I did and I just forgot about it, but I was like, holy shit, that's Joe Pesci right there who's like faking it as a cop, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny because you don't, you never really think of Pesci as a comedic actor, but then again, you, I mean, he was in My Cousin Vinny. He was terrific. I mean, I, that came afterwards. And he was also in Easy Money with Rodney Dangerfield. So I think a lot of people think of his heavy stuff as a mobster. Obviously, in Goodfellas, he was in Raging Bull. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's a well-rounded actor. Well, yeah, but you can also say this, that every comedic performance that he seems to do are always just a comedic uh, side of the uh, mobster guys that he plays. Right. <laughs> I mean, true. honestly, it's, <laughs> it's the, it, it's the stereotypical, uh, freaking Italian, uh, tough guy. Right. True. And though he does kind of go off type. Uh, and I know this is one of Sonny's favorite series, the lethal weapon. Uh, yes and no. I mm-hmm. mean, he's still that Italian, you know, working for the mob. I mean, he's just more oh, of the, true. He's not the tough guy, right? He's more of the, he's the uh, blue collar, uh, or not blue collar, but the accountant guy, right? And wasn't that his uh, thing? He he uh, dealt with uh, tax uh, money laundering or something in the Lethal Weapon series. Right. He was like a lackey, and I think he was, um, they were, weren't they trying to protect him too, if I, if I recall correctly? The- yeah, because he held all the uh, mob secrets because right. he was like a tax guy or a money launderer or something for the mob. That, that's right. That's right. That's true. <laughs> we'll eventually cover Lethal Weapon as well. So really the same thing, right? Right, right. So besides, how did you feel about the parents? Because actually um, the parents were pretty – end up being pretty famous too. John Hurd's been in a lot of things. Obviously Catherine O'Hara too as well. Well, Catherine O'Hara, she seemed to be a favorite of John Hughes, right? She's been used in other John Hughes stuff. Yeah. Uh, At least uh, that's my recollection. I mean, uh, when I think of Catherine O'Hara, I think of Beetlejuice a lot of times. Sure. Right away. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. John Hurt as well. I mean, they're they're fine. Perfect, uh, you know, perfect pick for uh, for that role. One one of the things that made me laugh that was sort of it wasn't a huge scene or anything. It just one of the things I took away from the movie is how kind of mean everybody was to Kevin, right? <laughs> uh, the character at first, you know, from the parents to the uh, to the uh, uh, siblings to the yeah. cousins to the um, the aunts and uncles. Everybody was kind of mean to him, and yeah, at times he. He was kind of a little bit of a shit, but uh, not to the degree of everybody just sort of bullying him and just 
kind of being mean to him. I started to laugh because the one scene, there's a scene when uh, that lousy uncle is still stealing silverware on the airline. (laughs) Yes. I was laughing about that because I don't remember that scene. And I was like, first of all, they have actual uh, silverware on the airline. That's funny because that used to be a thing. And I mean, it's been so long. I can't even remember. You used to get uh, meals. I think every time you flew just about, uh, yeah, just some of the stuff that, uh, from the old days that, that comes to mind when I see movies that are, uh, sort of set in their time period, you know? Well, I also like, you know, when, when Kevin is alone, he starts looking through his brother's, you know, stuff that buzz. And then he sees a picture of buzz's girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know if they would have got away with that today. Yeah. He's like, woof. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff when we watch these movies that, you know, it's like, uh, wow, I'm not sure they would have got away with that these days. You know, that's what's great about these films. Yeah, that's what's great about these films, because it it does harken back to uh, at least comedic a better time, I think, because they play too safe now. Well, well, for sure, because now this movie would be called Home Alone. So I called defects. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I don't. So you weren't. I know you're not a big fan of old, old classic films. And so when I found out that uh, eventually there's a movie called Angels with Dirty Faces, obviously there's play on the title with the uh, movie that that um, Kevin watches called Angels with Filthy Souls. When I actually saw the actual James Cagney movie, I kept thinking I was going to see a scene with snakes in it and like the filthy animal and all that not realizing that home alone basically created uh, a parody specifically for this film. Most people think that's the funniest part of this film. What say you? Well, so first of all, I didn't know it was a parody. I thought that was an actual old movie. And I was like, Oh, I guarantee you, Brian Davis going to be reviewing this movie on his podcast. If you hadn't already, because I'm like, that's right up Brian's alley, these old movies. So I had no idea that wasn't a real movie. No, they created spe- that little bit was specifically for this movie. See, I learned something new every time I'm on the damn good movie memories. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we did cover Angels with Dirty Faces uh, a few episodes back. So you can check that out as well. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, the, the brilliant move, the brilliant way that they set that up. I'm sure kids across the country tried to do the same thing with a pizza, with some sort of pizza guy at some point. Oh, well, there's all kinds of uh uh, little crazy traps and stuff that he does and things that he does and and think about it a lot of those things where did you see those last also in ferris bueller's day off right definitely definitely it definitely harkens back to that that hughes writing and, and many people feel this is almost like a live action looney tunes cartoon a live action looney tunes cartoon okay well yeah i guess i see that a little bit i never heard that but okay well, you think about it. It's almost like the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote because the wet bandits, I mean, they should be dead after just one of these things. and <laughs> They just get up and keep going. Dude, I cringed when he went and stepped on that nail. I was like, that uh-huh. thing is huge. There's no way. Yep. Yeah, there, yep. there, there's several scenes and I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, burning that dude's hat, that would have killed him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I did do that. You're, you're right about that. Well, he gets hit in the head with an, with an iron, and uh, yeah, there's just one thing after another. It's just like, oh, the amount of uh, abuse they take. All right, well, yeah, you asked me earlier, and I never really answered in terms of some of my 
favorite sure. scenes in the movie. And I think, you know, bar none for me uh, as a kid, the scene is probably the at least one of the most famous scenes in this movie is when he finally realizes that he's alone and just, mm-hmm. you know, goes crazy running <laughs> around the house, waving his arms and stuff. And that to me, that's just like that's that's the youth gone wild, right? <laughs> There's your rock and roll reference. That's the youth gone wild reference. It's it's uh, what what kid did not want to do that? I mean, seriously. Well, that, I think that's a missed opportunity because the debut Skid Row album came out in '89. They should have used that in the in the film. There you go. Would have made my uh, <laughs> list. <laughs> so what if you can remember what, what was the age where you were left home alone for the first time, either by accident or for real? There's no freaking way, dude. I have no clue. I mean, I have no clue about that. I can tell you this, that growing up as a kid, obviously things were a lot different than growing up as a kid today. So being left alone at, I don't know, 10, 11 years old was not that big of a deal. I mean, you used to go out and you used to play until it got, you know, got dark or whatever. It's not, you know, we used to walk. I can remember. So let me see. 77, which is when Star Wars came out. Yep. I would have been uh, uh, 11, 12 years old. Okay. Uh, Okay. So 77 uh, Star Wars came out. I would have been 12 years old. 11 or 12, somewhere around there. I'm not good with math. Pooney will tell you that. (laughs) Uh, At any point, I lived approximately, I'm going to say somewhere in the neighborhood of three miles from the theater. Okay. During the summer, I would ride my bike to and from that theater to see Star Wars multiple days a week. Oh, wow. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I saw Star Wars during that summer uh, Mm -hmm. as a kid. Um, And it wasn't, it's not like it's all back roads to that theater. I mean, it was on major roads with traffic and everything else. And so that it was never a second thought. I was an independent individual, uh, you know, like a lot of kids were. Uh, at, at that period of time. So it just wasn't, you know, it isn't like it is today. That's all I can say. And that's a great point because uh, you mentioned Star Wars and seeing it multiple times in the theater. That Those days are kind of gone, especially for kids, because it's so damn expensive to go to the theater now. Um, but you think about Home Alone, we're still in the era of, I think kids probably saw this four or five times in the theater, if not more. I would expect that. Yeah. About, about this time period. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, they used to have, um, these summer passes, they would sell families to the theater. And so the kid could use the summer pass and every Saturday morning they would send every Saturday morning, they would show a flick like, uh, Sinbad and the seven ragged or whatever it is. Uh, you know, so you would, you would go see that. And then the next week it would be something different. And the next week it would be something different. And then eventually, uh, I, I ended up, uh, moving into an apartment with my family that was literally right across the street from the mall, which had a big theater at it. So, you know, I would go walk across the street and go to movies every so often. So, uh, movies were definitely a huge part of my childhood. 
Yeah, and it's a shame now because one, the expense, and two, kids just know, well, in two months, it's going to be streaming anyway. <laughs> so if I see it once, it's not a big deal. I'll tell you what, as an adult, that's pretty much it for me. It's I like, know. this This will be free to me on Peacock next uh, next month. I can wait. Yeah. Yeah. And But I, I got to say, I mean, I, I've been going to the movies more now. Part of it because Lindsay and, and she likes seeing seeing films but um I, I i'm hoping movies are gonna get a little bit better now or i, I think since top gun came out since the elvis movie came out i hopefully the quality has been a little bit better but then again i just saw spinning gold and oh my god that was like a tv movie gone bad Oof, that was terrible oh spinning gold was not good then oh i hated it it was like every <laughs> it was you could tell it was a low budget you could tell that um you know, they didn't even try to get people that looked like any of the characters like Gene Simmons didn't look anything like Gene Simmons and definitely didn't sound like Gene Simmons. It it was bad. The Donna Summer did not look like Donna Summer. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And the timeline was so off. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you told me that because, you know, all the uh, kiss tards basically are like, yeah, yeah this has been really good. It's oh. been, a lot of people said they enjoyed it. I hadn't heard. Too many people say, oh, this is awful, you know? Oh, it, it was awful. And, um, you know, that's it. Still see it. Don't pay much. Like, I, again, I paid almost $20 to go see it in the theater uh, expecting something else. But, yeah, it was and it was co- so cliche ridden. You know, it's all those, you know, goofy inspirational speeches that are supposed to tug at you. And we're just rolling our eyes in the theater. But, no, they're playing Shout It Out Loud as a um, – showcase of kiss to uh you know where casablanca just started the label well shout out loud as you know as a kiss fan came out in 76 uh, they're not paying shout out loud so as a as a kiss fan i mean that stuff should have drove you know driven them nuts but i don't know maybe just seeing kiss on on uh, film they, they get excited for but we'll get back into home alone <laughs> and, uh, no that's that's a guy i love doing that because it was a fun tangent but uh did did you i'm assuming you saw the sequel um, I've seen, I think I've seen how many they made like four or five, right? They did, but I think there's only two with Macaulay and the next one he's in New York. Yeah. I, yeah. That, I've seen the sequel for sure. And I think I've seen the third one. And again, those, it's been a while, but yes, I did. So I'm, I'm assuming you would prefer the, the first film to the sequel. Cause the, the sequel is basically a rehash of the first film. Yeah. I thought the second one was decent, but yeah, the, uh, the original, uh, definitely was, uh, the best for me. Mm-hmm. And, and to wrap this up, uh, we, I, I have to ask, do you consider home alone a Christmas movie? Uh, the answer to that is yes, but okay. before we, it's a holiday movie, use sure. that wherever you want to do. But before we wrap this up, there's a couple of things that I do want to talk about that I think, sure. uh, came to the forefront when I watched it again. One is the grandparents from 16 candles are in an airport scene. True. That's a great, yeah, that's a good call out. Like I didn't catch that the first time or I don't remember it or I don't know, but I was watching it the other day and I was like, Holy crap. That's the grandparents from 16 candles. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. And then uh, you got to love the polka king of the Midwest. Come on. Absolutely. The, the cameo by, by um, John Candy is perfect. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be the polka king of the Midwest? That's right. That's right. If you, polka, if you polka, can't polka, be, polka, polka. If you can't be the sausage king <laughs> of Milwaukee, then what's the next best thing? The polka king of the Midwest. 
Well, that was what he was was great at too. He would constantly get cameos from his favorite actors, like in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. There was a cameo from Kevin Bacon that we talked about. That's right. Yeah. So same thing. So obviously, do you revisit this often, or if it's just on TV, you'll check it out? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, honestly, like I said, before I searched this one out, I hadn't seen it in forever, and it's not one of the regular holiday movies for me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think it should be. Why not? But yeah, but uh, it just isn't, and I hadn't seen it in a while, and it was, you know, it was a fun watch. Yeah, it's like comfort food. I mean, you can put this on at any time, and you're, you're going to get something out of it. Yeah, and I mean, come on, we didn't mention it, but how great is Daniel Stern and and Joe Pesci? I mean, oh, they're they just are. they're they're comedic genius, right? <laughs> well, they're they're the wet bandits, and I think they eventually become the sticky bandits at some point. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. you can't go wrong with them as they're a great pairing. Yeah, good stuff. And did you know that uh, because a lot of people forget, uh, Daniel Stern was the narrator in the Wonder Years. Uh, I don't know that I knew that or remember that, but yeah, he, he is Kevin Arnold's go. adult voice that there narrates you, the winners. There you go. See, he was great. He was great in city slickers too. He really was. He, he underrated actor and, and, uh, sometimes forgotten. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Well, as always, thank you so much, Stephen, for doing this. And uh, yeah, we went off on a little bit of tangent, but uh, that's okay. That's because Steve and I are buddies and we like having conversations like this. That's it. You get the all-natural conversation, people. Enjoy it. (laughs) You filthy animal. You filthy animals. (laughs) If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.